fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Final try Hey everybody and welcome to episode number 7 of the 4th season of the Fantasy Fullback Dive brought to you by the good people at the Roto Street Journal. We're paving your way to fantasy glory, your fantasy championships. Think of us as your lead blocker. There was some pretty good lead blocking going on in the Super Bowl on Sunday uh, for at least one of the teams. Um, I'm your host, Nat the Truth Jones. And when I say Sunday, I mean two Sundays ago because we've been off the air for a little while. But I'm your host, Nat the Truth Jones. With me, as always, the Wolf of Rotor Street himself. Probably still at least somewhat riding the high from that Super Bowl. 13-3 to win from the Patriots, which by the Patriots' eight Super Bowl appearance, or nine Super Bowl appearances, sorry, that counts as a legitimate blowout. Oh, absolutely. It's unbelievable. Uh, the, the high never goes away. It's even after six experiences and all this just dominating stretch run, this historic uh, dynasty we've building here. It never gets old. This it's was a nice st- one, too, in that unique style. of It was defense. It wasn't the GOAT. I mean, the GOAT obviously did what he had to do to get the win, but this was defense. This was a hard-nosed, hard-fought win that I don't think anybody expected the game to unfold like that, and no. it was really just uh, it was awesome to see, and you just don't realize how spoiled you are until my buddy had a couple friends visiting this weekend from Texas and different places, and me and my, and me and my roommate were just talking, like, number six, the GOAT, all this. And they're like, you guys shut the fuck up. Like, you don't realize I haven't been to a Super Bowl in about 40 years. And it's just, it, we're so spoiled. And yet I am so happy to be born here and nowhere else. It's the best being a Patriots fan. Yeah, truly is. I saw a great article about, like, it was by a New England fan. And it was like, you know, I, I get why you all hate us. And it's not, yep. and, and we are insufferable. And it's not like we don't deserve it. And he's like, but, like, we suffered for a really long time before then. And it is true. Like, when I was growing up, Patriot, Patriots fans were jokes. <laughs> Right, I yeah, know you're, you're, you're I, I young enough where you managed to like avoid that. But I remember a time when the Patriots fans were jokes. Seems like a lifetime ago. I do want to mm. touch on one or two things uh, as far yeah. as prop bets because we did talk prop bets a couple weeks ago. And I said at the end of the show, now I got every every prop significant prop right that I said, with the exception of James White. I liked him to do more than he did. He did essentially nothing. Mm. Pretty much everything else that I that I liked uh, went in pretty easily. Now the one. The two that I said at the very end that I liked, and I believe for one of them I even said, this is like printing your own money. Uh, Mm -hmm. They're still going. I said James Harden's 30-point streak will not end before the Super Bowl. It's still going on, just to be clear. He's (laughs) going for his 30th straight 30-point game tonight. I said there's Mm -hmm. no conceivable way it's going to stop. Uh, so if you if you listen to me on that and bet you you made whatever money you put down, and the other one I said was that the Knicks would have less wins at the end of the year than Brady's completions. Do you remember how how many completions Brady had in that game? Off it the top wasn't of your head? a ton, but no, I still well, it wouldn't have to be. To be it yeah. wouldn't have to be. The Knicks have lost fourteen in a row, so um, <laughs> I felt pretty good about it. I know it wasn't uh, an insane one, but I still like that one. But anyway, I won on the Harden one. Uh, CJ won MVP prop bet. He I said know. he liked I think Julian he put a nice Edelman. Fifty bucks for like two K or something like that on Edelman. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable moment for Good for, him. for yeah. CJ. Good for the salt man. Um, so anyway, uh, congratulations on your sixth Super Bowl. Uh, I will say that the Rams were the one team in the Final Four that I thought the Patriots would beat, um, although they beat the Chiefs as well and and did it legitimately. And so anyway, congratulations. I hate to congratulate you for stuff like this, but I mean I'm going to just come out and do it because hey, it is a pretty spectacular achievement. 
And we are going to talk a little bit about the Patriots' future, uh, you know, next year. You can't can't start this stuff too early. And so early February, we're going to start breaking down the Patriots' potential offense for the 2019 season. All right, we're going to get right yeah, into we this. Got, we got three burning questions, not just from the Super Bowl, but from the, the playoffs themselves that really just need answering after this uh, playoff for the 2019 season. So we'll get into exactly right. what you were just saying. A non-fantasy-related one, at least, uh, you know, playoff-wise, but I can't believe Sean McVay crapped himself to the level he did. If Dude. he's this man, you know, child genius and all this ridiculous stuff he didn't once make any adjustments he just did what he did and that's you know what got the chargers in trouble they kind of lined up in their zone and didn't adjust and then on offense sean McVay, you know we we matched up with them very well we played zone knowing that that was jared goff's weaknesses and he never adjusted it never threw to Gurley. never did anything never threw that to Gurley, even like, after chung went out like where, where you could have thought they could maybe get hightower in space or something like that's that that's gonna which, be our first question we okay. talk about is todd Gurley. Right, so well, i guess we're going to talk about Gurley. I do just want to say I agree with you on the whole. Man, it's shocking that McVay crapped, the pant, crapped his pants like that because he did. And, I mean, look, the Patriots came in, uh, Belichick, whatever you want to call it, he came in with a great game plan. And mm-hmm. at the same time, I'm a little bit surprised that the guy never tried to adjust his game at all nothing. Uh, when nothing was working at all. Now, you, I mean, I did hear on pretty good authority that McDaniel at one point just was like, nothing's working. We're going to... We're going to try something else. You got to do that when nothing's working. You got to try something else. A touchdown is going to be the difference of the game. Now, how would you feel if you're one of these teams that basically like signed anyone that like ever like spoke to Sean McVay, like in a store or something like that? Because there's like four (laughs) teams that now like have their future pretty much mortgaged on that. And, you know, they probably, you know, are not feeling maybe quite as good as they did before. We'll see how Zach Johnson does. We'll see if he turns around the Bengals. All right, let's get into these burning questions and these are burning well, and, questions and let's preview too real quick too in addition to these burning questions we're going to talk about the the coaching carousel oh, yeah that's the whole gist of, of this thing right so yeah i know we're very super bowl heavy but those of you just like the preview before we get into everything we're going to go over instead of boiling down each and every coach we'll, we'll get into that with the beat writers and things like that but we're going to summarize the key takeaways the six seven biggest winners that you need to know about i uh, go into deep detail on all those players that have seen their stock rise as we always talk about fancy football stock market we've seen some players definitely have their stock arrows go up because of these coaching hires so we'll go over all those we're going to talk about these burning questions the playoffs have left us for 2019 fantasy season and we got kareem hunt now on an nfl team uh pretty shockingly going to the browns so what does that mean for him what does that mean for chubb kyler murray going to the nfl so we got we i mean this is going to be one of the most loaded podcasts you can ever find in february for football i can't wait to get into it all yeah, said it better than I would have said it if I had remembered to go down the agenda. So good job. Uh, three burning questions, and these are like seriously burning. These are like you know you got the clap, and it's like you know it's burning. Like when you use the bathroom, you have experience it burns. With that? No, actually, I just picked a STD at random and was like, that sounds like one where you might like have trouble urinating. No, I don't know. The clap. Hey, can we get can we get a, a stat check on that? We need an, uh, someone that we can call while we're on the air and just be like, "Hey, real quick, does it burn when you That's urinate?" If you have a little experience with that, yeah, yeah, sure, a little. Yeah, he may have, he may he may know a guy that knows a guy. Anyway, uh, number one, WTF, or as they say in the business, what the fuck is up with Todd Gurley, and will this be an issue next season? Man, this just seemed like a question that would just be ridiculous. Say like week sixteen, something like that. I mean, this guy right. was money. I mean, you know, to the point where he's like sliding on the one yard line because he's so dominant. And he's like, oh, you know what? We don't even need this touchdown because A, my team wins all their games by a million points. And B, I score so many touchdowns, it doesn't even matter. 
he became just a complete non-factor. And they keep clinging to this, like, he's not hurt. It was game flow. There's no such thing as game flow like that when you've got the best, potentially the best position skill player or whatever in the NFL. What's going on? What do you believe? I, I truly have no idea what to believe. You can't imagine that it was 100% healthy Todd Gurley. As they keep saying, there was no you know, nothing wrong with the knee. He could have gone a full workload. They keep saying these things, but how could you possibly let this guy, as you mentioned, just three, four weeks ago, he was the inconceivable, no questions asked. Like that, You can't even come up with another argument for anyone else at number one overall. This guy led running backs in fantasy points after missing two games. He still topped the position. He was legitimately 20-plus points every single week has those 30 to 40 point week winners there was no question marks about Gurley. he touches the ball 20 plus times every game and one of the league's most explosive offenses a good offensive line everything about him was pristine and then fucking fat thickum cj anderson comes in and does have some admittedly great games for this team leading off into the the playoffs and it becomes a committee and you're telling me splitting workload almost right down the middle between these two guys in fact favoring cj anderson in quite a few games was the best call, the best way to set your team up for success. And this guy was still girly, fully healthy. I can't buy that. A guy that scored 21 touchdowns and just had a monster season all year. I can't buy that at all. Yeah. Did he really score 21 touchdowns? In 14 games, it was Good the back-to-back. God. It's the first time, I think, ever that the, the running back has gone back-to-back uh, in terms of fantasy points, being the skill point position leader in terms of receivers, right in the next tight ends, led the league two years in a row, and then goes and disappears. So it's tough for me to be like, okay, now we got to just take this guy out of our, our top six or anything like that because he's been so money historically. But suddenly there are some question marks that you don't have with a Saquon Barkley, that you don't have with an Ezekiel Elliott, that you probably don't even have with a Christian McCaffrey. So could you conceivably take Gurley out of your number one spot? Yes. Yes, in fact, he's now, uh, absolutely. He's, he's, you could conceivably take him out. <laughs> I mean, yeah, 35 yards in the Super Bowl, 16 yards in the, the week before against the Saints. Of course you can. Uh, what are these usage question marks? What was happening? There is no clear answer. McVay keeps saying things like we were in a really good rhythm with our running backs. We had gone back to back. His oh, conditioning wasn't Whatever. there coming off a knee injury. He couldn't handle the 60 to 70 snaps despite saying he's going to have a full workload each and every week. <laughs> I, I don't get it. He looked pretty healthy against Dallas when he had 116 yards and a touchdown. It wasn't like this guy was completely dinged up. So the mystery remains. There's certainly question marks. I mean, CJ Anderson is a free agent, but they've already said we would be thrilled to have this guy back. You got Andrew Whitworth, one of their their left tackle, the main blocker on that offensive line, potentially mulling retirement. Roger Seffel, the other guard on that left side, is a, a free agent coming up this season. So that entire left side of the line could be eliminated. You got Gurley with these usage question marks moving forward where they seems like everything you read is they want this type of uh one two punch they think it's better for longevity uh, after girl has gotten hurt the past couple years so now you got some usage question marks as great as he's been these t- last two years he's at best my third ranked guy in my big board i was gonna, say to below, Kamara, I was gonna ask and, you i was gonna say kamara girly who do you take Right now, if I had a gun to my head, I would still take Gurley really? today, but there's yeah. far more. I don't know. That is tough, right? Because the about- offseason can only get better for Kamara. Worst case scenario, Ingram comes back and he is what he's been, which is the RB4 in back-to-back seasons. Uh, best case, Ingram leaves and he could potentially lead the position in a historic pace. What so, do you think? What, you're would, right. Maybe Kamara could only go up, whereas Gurley seems like he could only go down if he loses these lines. I would take Kamara over Gurley. Right? What about McCaffrey? Who would you take? McCaffrey uh, or Gurley? I would, I would take I, McCaffrey. 
I think I might take McCaffrey there. It's so tough. It's so tricky because Gurley has been so dynamite these last two years. But moving forward, there are far more question marks than I ever thought entering the playoffs could exist around such a sure talent these last two years. What about Gurley or Trent Richardson, who had a big AFF <laughs> debut, two touchdowns? Two touchdown day, uh, averaging his career his steady pace of 2.5 yards per carry. Nothing has changed with Trent Richardson, okay. but still touchdown hog over there, the Touch, AAF. Right, touchdown hog. I mean, you know, if you said to me before the game, who do you want fantasy-wise, Todd Gurley combined NFC Championship game and Super Bowl or Trent Richardson in his AFF or AAF debut, uh, it's it's no question. You'd rather have Richardson. Anyway. Uh, yeah, let's move on. Uh, let's move on to question number two. Will Damian Williams be the chief starter in 2019? I'm just going to answer this like I don't see why not. I, I certainly don't see why not. You know, the whole running backs don't matter. Uh, camp definitely got a stock that up. That camp in, in is this. really, really, really growing too. It's Damian Williams is helping to prove that that theory for sure. Uh, first of all, what run, Hunt went down, he was the running back three in fantasy over those weeks, 17, 27.3, 21.9, and then in half a game, 12.4, so probably about to go for 20 again, uh, but was taken out because he was so vital to the Chiefs run. They already had the win locked up. So Williams then goes on in the most crucial time to continue operating as a feature back. Spencer Ware comes back. Doesn't matter. Damian Williams goes 30 in a touchdown and then two receiving touchdowns and 66 yards in the AFC Championship despite losing. It's almost 30 fantasy points right there. And then the week before, 25 carries, 129 yards in a TD, in addition to five catches, 25 yards against the Colts. So this guy was clearly in crunch time uh, is still performing at an elite level, both fantasy-wise and real-life-wise. And of course that situation is going to remain just as valuable in 2019 as it was in 2018 when you got MVP Pat Mahomes leading the charge. You got such deep, great weapon cabinet around him where you can't stack a box and you got to keep the safeties deep to de- defend the speed of Hill, Sammy Watkins, even Travis Kelsey down the seam. So obviously the dump offs are there time and time again. Andy Reid's always preferred riding a one horse system uh, to keep just substitutions, keep the pace, uh, keep the defense un- unable to substitute and match the pace you're going. So Damian Williams, if he is that starter at right now, he's number 14 on my big board overall, not at running back overall. Yeah. And that's assuming he's the starter. And if w- once that's confirmed, I could see him <clears throat> even rising into the first round. I think he's a first-round guy. It's clearly still the most important value hole of the offseason to track because there is running backs like Mark Ingram. Uh, you know, Every down featured backs are available, so if the Chiefs do go out and splurge, then obviously that will send him plummeting. But right now, as you said, why wouldn't he be? He performed as elite as you can at the most crucial of times for this team. I don't see why you would go out and spend. They signed him to an extension. I mean, uh, this seems like it's going to be the Damian Williams show, and he's going to be an absolute monster yet again. And the Chiefs, unlike a lot of these teams where they get there, they get so close to the promised land they get turned away and then you're like oh man you know kind of the saints a lot of people are saying this i don't know if it's true or not they're like oh that might have been their best chance the chiefs are a team on the rise like you know you look at them and it's like it's not like their offense like i don't see any reason why their offense wouldn't be at least as good this year as it was last year so yeah i would say this guy in my mind unless they bring in someone else like you said he's he's a first round fantasy guy All right, question number three. What will the Patriots offense look like in 2019? This is a lot of speculation here, but obviously we're looking at a lot of changes with Gronk maybe retiring. Hogan, Dorsett, Patterson, they could all be out the door. You got Julian Edelman left, and then you maybe a solid running back contingent. I don't know. 
Yeah, if you look at the playoff recipe here for success, it was Julian Edelman, it was Sony Michelle, and I mean Gronk every now and then for those huge plays, it came up big, but it was just the, really boiled down to those two as the entire offense, and those are really going to be the two last people standing, it would seem, with all those free agent question marks with Gronk's retirement potentially looming, and as a Patriots fan, I expect him to retire. The way he talks about it, the way it took a mental toll on him, the way he just talks about getting hit over and over and over, and that it, it almost sounded like he was hinting at having depression over at certain points because he kept talking about the mental issues that come with being hit so repeatedly. And I mean, tight end, what a ridiculous position. You're taking the inline hits as a blocker. You're taking the over the middle hits as a receiver. This guy has gotten broken and beaten up time and time again. I expect him to be out. Uh, And so you you take him out of the offense. You take all these receivers out of the offense. You're left with Edelman, who obviously had an unbelievable playoff run. 35 targets, 26 catches, 388 yards, 11.6 targets a game, 8.6 catches and 130 yards per game. Ridiculous output, and he's going to be potentially the only guy left with even less targets around him. That would make him a no-brainer wide receiver one selection in fantasy. I mean, that's the reason he's getting Hall of Fame speculation right now because he trails only Jerry Rice right now in, in postseason yardage. He probably yeah. won't ever catch those ridiculous totals by Rice, but he's number two on the list, and he's been an unbelievable clutch performer. He's done this before, though. He's been a playoff hero before and not had that level of production car over into the regular season. So now it's a question: Will will it finally carry over will that finally follow him and as you mentioned the backfield contingency sony michelle really being that that crucial name here 71 carries 336 yards six tds across three games that's a 23.6 carry 112 yard two td pace ridiculous i mean that's fantasy rb1 status locked in no brainer now of course the patriots have those question marks historically with their running back situation they've always been a committee you never know which guy is going to end up being on top of the depth chart come the season but when you see this guy get 70 percent of the carries, 71 of 102 total carries in the playoffs and perform at the level he did i mean that was Corey dylan asking there was no questions who was getting the rock when Corey dylan was there so of course you know you got those little reservations about the shenanigans in the past you got sony michelle who does have a, an admitted injury history missed some time this year came into the league with some knee questions but if this guy does shoulder the offense like he did and again belichick if it ain't broke don't fix it i don't see why he's not going to get fed and you mentioned right at the beginning of the show too paving lines the the holes this line was paving were unbelievable now trent brown a huge question mark because he's going to be a free agent and they're already speculating they might not be able to sign him because he's going to get some humongous money and i would love to see him back 330 pounds that moves Mm. unfair how fast this guy moves in terms of just paving out defenders pulling around and it's just ridiculous i've never seen a lineman of this size move that athletically but we do have isaiah win the first rounder this year waiting in the the, the shadows here uh, coming back from an injury so worst comes to worst we have a replacement plan best case trent brown's back and then we insert isaiah win in terms of guard or something of that nature and have just an even more mauling line for sony oh man I, i'm just getting fucking horny thinking about what this guy could do in 2019 uh so julian edelman and sony michelle clearly the two guys that could be absolute fantasy monsters as they just were in this postseason come 2019 for the patriots and that brings me to a question about you know my keeper team that i've been asking you about forever which is i have deandre hopkins and then mm-hmm. and I get to keep two. And then the big question was David Johnson or Nick Chubb. And yep. because they're both like, you know, not bad keepers. We'll see. But I've also got Sony Michelle uh, creeping on the bench, uh, which yeah. now all of a sudden, like, now what do that's you do? That's complicated. Right. Things, now what man. do you do? Well, that's almost the perfect segue because the, the no brainer, even with Sony's performance, was going to be Nick Chubb. Right. But well, I'm throwing I you guess- a softball here because we got breaking news <laughs> coming across the ticker right now. 
Absolutely. And, and that, of course, has to do with Kareem Hunt, who uh, I, I guess people felt he had, he had done his time or paid his penance or whatever for, like, kicking and hitting and pushing a woman. Um, and, you know, unlike Ray Rice, when he did this, although Ray Rice did it to his wife, and, you know, she seemed like she was maybe, I, I guess cool with it would be the wrong thing, but she was <laughs> like, yeah, sign him, you know? Afterwards, uh, this woman was like a stranger. Uh, but anyway, uh, Kareem Hunt, unlike Ray Rice, was in the prime of his career and, and is a real asset. And so the big question after he did this is, you know, like, are they really just going to like, is, is no one going to sign this guy? We all knew someone mm-hmm. was going to sign this guy. I'm a little mm-hmm. surprised it was the Browns. We can let, let's we'll we'll not talk about like just kind of like the ethics of the situation and, and what we think about, you know, should you sign a guy like this in general? Let's just talk about him from a fantasy standpoint as a talent going to a, 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 the Cleveland Browns. Uh, what do you think? Why would the Browns sign Hunt? I mean, other than the I fact mean, that he's just an extremely talented running back. Extremely talented guy under a cost-controlled, you know, one-year prove-it style deal, and then it's a restricted free agency after that. So if he performs well, they get the option to keep him for a second cost-controlled year. Uh, from a, I mean, obviously, if you put all the ethics and all that aside, and the the brown mark that will leave on the Browns' uh, resume right. here by you know the black eyes, so to speak. Sure. If you can stomach all that, then from a, a perspective, uh, just regular season and an NFL perspective, and just like fantasy perspective, it's a great move by the. The Browns sucks for fantasy owners of let's say you Nick Chubb dynasty owners this guy was number 18 on my big board and I was low on him at number 18 yeah he's are. gonna fall now down to even you know 26 30 ish range so I'm not gonna send him you know down to 50 60 but below certain things but now it becomes a question where he was ranking alongside the the David Johnson's those second round running backs uh above all those guys now it becomes does he just drop to like the bottom of that tier or am I moving him down to the the Philip Lindsay's the Marlon Max the Sony Michelle nowadays tier uh, where does he fall and that's where i have him going down now is dropping well out of my second round and towards that middle of the third round because he's still a very talented guy he's still exploded down the stretch he's going to have at least i would say six games maybe even more there's going to be a suspension here with kareem hunt so chubb will have that chance to establish himself as a every yeah i mean he's that's back. why you can't drop him to 50 or something the guy's going to get a no. chance to have a stranglehold on this job he could be great who knows Exactly, but also Kareem Hunt might be a better overall running back, and he's going to come in fresher I think he than is. the rest of the he league. He's a better overall uh, running back. I, I think so. It, multifaceted, at least in terms of pass catching, which Freddie Kitchens, a Bruce Arians disciple, will obviously love. Kareem Hunt's as good of a receiving back as you can find in the NFL. Uh, so he's going to come in fresher than anybody else. Come week seven, you know, Nick Chubb's going to have that wear and tear on him. You got to expect this is going to go right into an immediate committee with the chance that Kareem Hunt could then take over. So, yes, it will be nice to have a great first six games of Chubb, and you hope that he just locks in that backfield and, and Hunt just becomes more of a complimentary piece. But I don't see this yeah, guy seems uh, you know, becoming a complimentary piece. It's John, John Dorsey, the GM there, who drafted him and saw what this guy could do, leading the league as a, uh, a rookie back when he was first drafted by Dorsey. So, obviously, he's willing to stomach that that uh, PR hit and, and take it so he could have this talent back under his control. You got to imagine the Browns are going to give this guy every shot to to play once he's officially reinstated. We don't know when that will be, of course. Again, speculation is about six weeks. It does hurt Chubb. I mean, now that I'm talking about it, I'm like, okay, yeah, you get a six-week great rental of Chubb, but then are you losing him at, when it matters most for the second half of your stretch run? Does Kareem it's, it's a very like, tough situation know. because one or maybe even both of these guys have real value, but it's tough to tell who and it's tough to tell yeah. for how long and it's like – 
someone is, you know, I'm covering all my bases. I'm hedging as much as I possibly could here. Someone is either going to get a real steal on one or both of these guys or someone is going to really reach for one or both of these guys and get screwed. And I just don't yeah. know what, what that's going to be yet. If I was drafting today, my approach would be like if I took Chubb, he, let's say he's sitting there in the middle of round three, and I'm like, okay, for six weeks at least, this guy's going to be a monster. So I take him, and you, you of course, again, your highest ceiling is he just locks down that job, and you can't go back because he's feasting so much. And that's, that it could happen. I mean, he really was dominant for a significant stretch. Uh, but if you take him, you have to. You're you're locking yourself into Kareem Hunt. You have to take him. And you're going uh, to have to take him soon because someone's right. he's not going to sit long. He's a name. Like He's the exact type of guy that, that people, especially like uninformed people, will reach for. So right, like exactly. you're probably gonna have to take him in like the fourth round or maybe fifth. I, I don't know. I see. I, I, see, I really think I just, so, man. I mean, we'll see. I think there's is that black mark around Kareem Hunt that there's and there's so much more uncertainty where I see him falling more to probably around eight or nine is where no, I'm gonna anticipate. I, I, would, I would be shocked, shocked to see Kareem Hunt going around eight or nine. That's six so, game so, suspension. Some, though. Some, yeah, but someone's gonna re, someone's gonna read maybe six games. I, I guess that's more than four. You're right. I mean, you know, I've seen I and maybe the fourth round's too high, but I'll bet someone's grabbing him in the sixth round. Yeah. Okay. Sixth round, and even there, Maybe that fifth. might not be a bad play because yes, you get the the certainty of six games of Chubb, but down the stretch when you get a fresh Kareem Hunt coming in there, I, I can see that being you know I'm probably not going to touch Chubb. Let's be honest here. I, I think he's now undraftable in my opinion. Whereas Hunt, is, let's see, if round six, seven, if that's his range. I can see myself taking that plunge. You let him sit for a while. He's going to be coming back to run behind one of the best offensive lines, a surging offense under Freddie Kitchens, which was already dominating, and now he gets a whole offseason to scheme. You got Todd Monk in a great offensive mind there as well to create even more explosion. I think Baker Mayfield, my 2019 Pat Mahomes, uh, already kept going on and saying that one. So I think this offense is going to skyrocket, and if you get a featured back in that system, and who's a better featured back? I really do think it's Kareem Hunt for round seven price. You just got to he, eat he's that gonna bench go sooner than you. I'm I'm telling you, he's going to go sooner than you we'll think. See. And part of it, part of it's his name. Like people, people draft people they've heard of. Well, I'm, either I'm, way, his ADP has become one of the must monitor storylines. Uh, yeah, of, of the no question. And I mean, by the way, folks, it's February. Our, our opinions might both change on this. It's conceivable yeah. in the next six months we might think something different. All right, uh, second uh, piece of breaking news, and and we're going to go into this admitting we need to look into this a little bit more so we can become uh, authorities on Kyler Murray, but we we feel like we can talk about this move a little bit. We'll talk about its fantasy relevance moving forward, obviously, during the offseason, but Kyler Murray, Heisman Trophy winner at Oklahoma, has come out and said, uh, you know, there was some doubt about whether he was going to go baseball or football. He's a phenomenal athlete. He's great at both. He's going all in on football. So what's that mean? I mean, it's interesting news for sure, considering he's a Heisman Trophy winner. He's been flat-out dominant when he's been on the field this year. So it's, of course, of interest with so many quarterback needs in the NFL, whether it's the Giants, whether it's the Jaguars, whether it's the Dolphins. Uh, there's so many teams that could use the electricity that this guy brings. And as you said, I do want to do a little bit more scouting, but just look at the raw numbers. Uh, 260 of 377 pass attempts, 4,361 yeah. yards and 42 touchdowns to seven interceptions. That's nearly identical to what Mayfield's 4,643 touchdown six-pick season was, uh, who obviously just went number one overall and wasn't the biggest quarterback himself. That's, of course, the knock with Murray. is He's very short. He's under 5'10". So, I mean, this guy is short, mm. and that's, of course, got a stigma. He's even shorter than Russell Wilson, just by a hair. Uh, we've seen Russell Wilson dominate. It's never been an issue for this guy who went undefeated uh, as, a, as a high school quarterback, 43-0. and So the guy just has always been a winner, always been able to overcome the size doubts that had been 
thrown at him. He's electric in terms of his escapability in the pocket, uh, makes plays, can run, rip off, you know, 50, 60 yards run. He's as athletic as any quarterback in the league. Obviously, as a ninth overall pick in the baseball draft, has a cannon arm. So he's got a lot of Mahomes to him, which is, of course, what a ton of coordinators are going to be looking for when you see what Mahomes did this year. Maybe even more athletic, but of course, doesn't have the size. But in terms of arm strength and accuracy uh, and ability to make plays and move around in the pocket, he brings a ton of those same things to the table. So his status is going to be crucial to monitor. The Giants are already saying we're probably not in on him. We like guys with size, but who knows if that's a smoke screen. Uh, there are some rumblings. Cliff Kingsbury, when he was a, uh, the coach over there at Texas Tech, they were lining up to face Murray. And he said, there's nothing this guy can't do. He absolutely gushed about him and said, if I was a GM and I had the number one overall pick, I would be taking this guy number one overall. Well, guess what? Cliff Kingsbury does have the number one overall pick in this draft. Of course, they have Josh Rosen there, but there's tons of rumblings already that they're going to try to trade Rosen away and draft Murray number one overall and get Kingsbury his guy that he loves. That would be a nice jolt of excitement for the Cardinals. So who knows where he's going to go? Much needed jolt of excitement. They had legitimately the most boring team I've ever seen, but that would be you know, David Johnson. Everyone there would suddenly take a nice rise in the excitement that Murray could bring. So either way, I'm just pumped that he's going to the NFL, becomes a great rookie storyline to follow. Uh, and some franchise is going to get somebody that uh, and Murray that could really just spark and ignite their entire offense with what he brings to the table. All right. That's going to do it for breaking news. We're going to obviously be coming back to both Kareem Hunt and Kyler Murray a lot during the offseason. There's a lot more to say about them and a lot of other people. We're going to hit the coaching carousel, and this features a lot of running backs, which should not come as a shock. Obviously, biggest value hole in fantasy. Um, Arguably, you know, biggest position affected by like a big coaching change, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. How do you use your running back? That seems to be one of the huge. Uh, differentiating things between some of these teams and it's a big obviously a big game changer if you guess right um some coaches would say they're not guessing all right let's talk Uh, baker mayfield to chef up sophomore masterpiece i love that that's a fantastic that's a rotor street journal headline right there uh in freddie's kitchen love this this is just delicious plays on words just hitting you like a hailstorm (laughs) there um anyway let's talk a little bit about the browns situation we just talked about them signing kareem hunt the Freddie Kitchen coaching carousel comes in at the top of our uh, carousel rundown. So talk to me about that, Wolf. As I already hinted at, I really do think Mayfield might be that all-in 2019, you know, Pat Mahomes-style guy for me this year. Really? And Freddie Kitchens is a huge part of that. Uh, when he took over midway through the season, became and now is the 17th head coach of the Browns. When he took over, uh, over those eight games, Cleveland tied for the league lead in yards per pass attempt at 8.72. They ranked fourth in total yards, 395.1, and passing yards, 285.9 per game. Uh, and the, all while leading the NFL in yards per play, 6.86. That was actually the most since the uh, greatest show on turf Rams. So over the last like 16 years, that hasn't been matched. So they really became a very efficient, uh, especially yardage-wise overall offense. And Mayfield, of course, with the whole offense taking that leap forward, was the centerpiece of all of that. His percentage went from 58% to 68%, uh, but still his yards per attempt, you'd think it was just a dink and dunk offense to make that go up. No, it rose from 6.6 to uh, 8.6 
per attempt, despite the quicker hitting, more you know, fit, better fitting scheme for him under Kitchens. He was on pace for 4,508 yards, 38 TDs, 16 interceptions. Obviously, needs to get cleaned up. Uh, that would have been 300 fantasy points. QB nine finished just one point below Drew Brees. Instead of that, though, before they got there, uh, Freddie Kitchens and under Hale, Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson, Mayfield was on pace for 3,900 yards, so you know 600 yards less, 21 TDs, 17 touchdowns less, and that 16 interception pace was also there, which would have been 208, so 100 less fantasy points would have been a quarterback 20 finish, which instead of being a point below Drew Brees would have been just below Case Keenum. Uh, so that just puts it into perspective how much better he was with Freddie Kitchens. Clearly, the team loved that continuity uh, that Freddie Kitchens is going to bring instead of just having to relearn a whole new system. They're getting a guy that has established chemistry with Mayfield. Now you just innovate and build on that. And what better way to innovate and build than by bringing in Todd Munkin, who isn't going to be calling the plays, but comes from the Bucks that led the league in pass yardage per game last year, uh, brings a ton of air raid type of principles to his offenses, tons of quick hitting RPOs and screens, and just an overall very bright, creative mind. So you combine Kitchens and Munkin's offensive brilliance, assuming those two can get along and have this perfect marriage. I love what they're going to bring to the table as an offensive team. Would love to see another weapon or two added on the outside. I still don't think the weapons cabinet's all that inspiring when you got Jarvis Landry atop of it, and he's clearly just a number two receiver. They need to get somebody else in there. But overall, just the, the improved uh, play under Kitchens last year and then that continuity coming in for 2019, I think is going to be huge for Baker Mayfield's ascension. And just assuming he takes another step forward as a hard worker, as one of the you know football junkies this himself, I just love everything that's happened this offseason for Baker Mayfield, and he's going to explode in 2019. All right, man. I don't know. I, I, I agree. You don't there, buy it? <laughs> no, I mean, it's not like I don't buy it. I mean, that came out wrong. It's like there's no there's no denying how much better they were offensively once once the changes were made and Hugh Jackson went out the door. Like, nobody can deny that. So mm-hmm. it's just – I'm just skeptical. You know, we'll see what happens. I mean, one thing is I'm like, what do you think – this is a little bit separate. What do you think Jarvis Landry's future is? So he's – we're not doing a followers episode this I, week. I know. But- I'm just curious. <laughs> But he is uh, listed as one of my followers of the offseason, okay. one of the few guys that I don't think benefits from this move because Kitchens does such a masterful job of spreading the ball uh, and getting – he's not a guy that's just going to pepper your number one target like Haley was doing with Jarvis Landry and, and to no success clearly uh, getting the can after there. So, no, I don't like Jarvis Landry with this move. That being said, if they go and let's say trade for Antonio Brown or get like a true number one receiver, I would actually like Landry more because I don't think he mm. is a guy that – can be your you sustain and shoulder an entire offense and shoulder the best coverage of a defense. But if he's your number two and yeah. has somebody stretching the field and can just do his intermediate thing, then I could see him taking a nice step forward. But right now, I'm not a big fan of uh, of uh, Jarvis. There's a lot of guys I have above him, uh, Chris Godwin, and a ton of receivers that I think will break out. Calvin Ridley, Mike Williams, even just tantalize yeah. me more than what we saw with, with Jarvis Landry under Freddie Kitchens. I agree with you on all that. All right, let's go to yeah. number two on the carousel. We got Dalvin Cook, 2019's Christian McCaffrey and fantasy. That that's that's saying something. That's true. What do you what what possible 
reason do you have for thinking that could happen with the Minnesota I, changes? I mean, you see what happened with Christian McCaffrey. What did he ride to his 2018 breakout? It was a coaching scheme change with Nerve Turner, who made workhorse backs out of LT, a smaller frame guys that came out and said, we're going to feed this guy 25, 30 times. And we kind of scoffed at it at first. And it came into fruition. The more and more we saw him play in the preseason, the more and more we bought into it until we moved him from a guy we thought was overrated to a, a first rounder above what everybody else thought he was. And he was a must draft guy by the end of it that same type of thing is going to be happening here with Dalvin Cook they fired John DeFilippo they moved to Kevin Stefanski last season we already see his touches nearly triple under that but what really has me uh, just absolutely overflowing is I'm a diehard Gary Kubiak lover I'm a diehard zone blocking scheme just if a well, nothing gets me more excited than a well-executed zone blocking scheme. It makes me so fucking happy when I see it happen. And there's nobody better at executing a zone blocking scheme than the Cubs himself. I mean, you're a longtime Denver fan since the days of Terrell Davis. Back in '95 was when this guy got his coordinating start with Terrell Davis. And I went back. I had a nice little Friday where I sat and for two hours just crunched. What have running backs done under Gary Kubiak? Just listen to a couple of these stats. 15 of 22 running backs have topped 1,200 yards from scrimmage. 13 have gone for over 1,480. 10 have gone over for 1,600 total yards. 7 over 1,800 total yards. 3 topping that ridiculous 2,000-yard barrier. Of which there have only been, like, what, 8 ever or something like that. Exactly. 3 of them have been Kubiak guys. So already you have that just history in your back pocket. And even better, you know, that means 7 of them missed that 1200 yard mark well five of those were injury related and and uh those five were on pace for 1500 or more yards so if they didn't get injured it might have not even happened only two of those have been true just bust it was cj anderson a couple years ago those were probably like pretzel vendors from the stadium or something that he just kind of pulled truly only two times have the backs actually flopped under kubiak so you give me two you know 20 of 22 years I'll bet on that all day of the week. Uh, and again, yes, some of those guys, Clinton Portis, Trell Davis, Arian Foster, some very good talents. Oh, yeah. I get that. And those guys made those 1,900-yard, 18-touchdown monstrous seasons in the scheme. But you also have guys named Orlandis Gary, Mike Anderson. Oh, yeah. I Ruben remember Trulles, those guys. Steve Slayton, all crossing that 1,500-yard, 10-plus touchdown monster RB1 seasons. Those are no names. I think Cook ranks much more closely to those Terrell Davis, Clinton Portis, Arian Foster tiers in terms of sheer ability. You give him a yeah, – and back at Florida State, they ran a ton of zone concepts, and we saw Cook thriving. Even at the end of this year where Kevin Stefanski started putting a little more zone running, we saw against the Dolphins, his first game, Stefanski calling plays – absolutely fed Dalvin Cook had his best game of the year, 160 total yards, two touchdowns, ripping up the defense in that zone scheme. Uh, and Stefanski will be the play caller. Kubiak's just the offensive advisor, but his fingerprints are going to be all over this. It's going to be one of those zone blocking to perfection schemes. Latavius Murray is a free agent. He's already said, I want featured running back money. I want to be a number one guy. Whether he actually finds that or not, he's clearly on his way out of Minnesota. So you get the volume uptick. You get the scheme uptick with Dalvin Cook. The only question here is obviously health, and I get it. He missed five games this year. His entire rookie season was cut short. So there are humongous health question marks. I understand that to the fullest. But if he can stay healthy, huge if, yes, I get it. But if he stays healthy, there's no way this guy's not topping 1,700 yards and double-digit touchdowns. And he's going to be that second-round running back that everyone's taken in the top six come next year. All right. The next Todd Gurley. Of course, we're always looking for the next Todd Gurley. Uh, And we're not talking about Todd Gurley as in, like, the guy that rushed for, like, you know, 
70 yards combined in the NFC Championship in the Super Bowl or less. We're talking about the next Todd Gurley at his best. And we got Aaron Jones, Joe Mixon, Philip Lindsay. They're all set up to be the next versatile horse under Shanahan and McVay protégés. Man, that could go really e- that could go really far one direction or the other. Uh the 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 protege of the, of the hot guy out there, man, that could work for you or it could work against you. What are your thoughts? I mean, of those guys, Aaron Jones, Joe Mixon, Philip Lindsay, do you do you like them all to blow up? I really do. I think the system, I get the Super Bowl kind of exposed McVay. He didn't adjust to what the Patriots were doing, and they had the perfect plan to stop the scheme. But as a whole, that scheme has not been stopped quite often in the NFL. Uh, it's been very explosive, and I think all three of these teams, uh, maybe not the Broncos so much as the, the Packers and the Bengals, I think all three of them, though, are equipped with, in terms, especially the running backs, with the versatility, the vision, the ability to get up the field in a hurry and just blast through all three of those guys are going to be perfect for that zone blocking scheme. I just talked about last time, nothing gets me hornier than a zone blocking scheme. Mm. Well, that's what the Shanahan McVay system is predicated on. The whole goal of the offense, as we talk about in my Matt LaFleur breakdown, is marrying the run and pass games is what they call it. And what do you have to do to do that is, of course, run the ball first and foremost. And they do that so well because they use that zone blocking scheme to perfection, which opens up those wide lanes when a back that has good vision can find the cutbacks and just accelerate all three of those guys jones Lindsay, and joe mixon uh can just find the hole to perfection and get up there in a hurry they're going to be perfect fits for a zone blocking scheme uh, but then beyond that you establish that running game so well and that's of course again crucial but from there marrying the pass and run games is all about play action and also screens and a lot of those screens do go to the running backs and all three of these guys jones mixon and Lindsay, are great pass catchers and are very dangerous when they have blockers and space because they're so fast in the open field that can make any man miss with one cut and go direction abilities. That's true. All three of these guys, I just look at it and I think of the system and how they, it's, it's again, the run scheme, the passing based off of it, uh, just the overall offensive ingenuity that should make scoring more plentiful for all three of those offenses fit those backs to, to perfection. So I think all three of them could really take off. Of course, the, the lowest of the three would be Lindsey because he's just not as big as those guys in the overall offense. Man, I is, love is good. watching him run, not as good. But I love Lindsey. I think he's a great – he'll be a great zone runner. His feet just fly like a, like a toy soldier. Like the way it just – and the way he can just cut on a dime. He has great feel for his blocks. I think he's going to be fantastic in this too. So all three of those guys to me – uh, Joe Mixon, obviously the most elite, the guy coming off a of running back one season himself. This is, to me, what vaults him into just no-brainer first-round territory, even over those elite receivers like Mike Thomas and Julio Jones. Give me the horse, Joe Mixon, in, in this offense. I think he's going to be fantastic. Aaron Jones, uh, historically, he's been just so misused. But Matt LaFleur, his new coordinator, has called 15-plus touches for his lead running back in 87% of the games. And when Jones has had 15-plus touches, he's averaged uh, his 16-game output. He's only had eight games with 15 plus touches, but those averaged out to over 1,700 yards and 18 touchdowns uh, when he's had those games of 15 plus touches over a full season. So Jones should expect to see 15 plus touches most weeks. And then Philip Lindsay, as we just said, such a fast accelerator will be great for a zone scheme and a great pass. All three of them, all three of them fit the scheme and the goal of marrying the pass run games to perfection. So I. I would love to get all three of these guys if I could go running back, running back, running back. Because Lindsey falls to late three, Aaron Jones a late second guy. I mean, if you're in an auction league, you could potentially get all three of these guys for discounted prices, and they fit that girly mold of that McVay-Shanahan scheme to perfection. 
All right. It's tough to argue with any of that stuff. I'm pulling for Lindsay, especially. All right. Speaking of Mixon and the Bengals, and we were, their passing game is also, you know, looking to like make some changes, hopeful, pos- uh, hopefully pos- positive changes under Zach Taylor, who I kind of mocked uh, at the beginning of the show because he's like a buddy of McVeigh's. But anyway, we got. Andy Dalton, we got A.J. Green. Obviously, A.J. Green playing the role of the Shanahan ex-receiver, which we've talked about ad nauseum on the show before. And, yeah. uh, I mean, for good reason. And then you got Tyler Boyd, who you refer to as a Robert Woods clone, but bigger. Yeah, I think uh, Zach Taylor. Of those three guys I talked about, you know, LaFleur, we've already seen. He's very committed to the run. Uh, Philip Lindsay is going to be playing under Rich Scangarello, I believe is how you say the guy's name. Yeah. Uh, he was the quarterback's coach for the 49ers under Shanahan. I expect those two offenses to remain pretty run-heavy, even with Aaron Rodgers for the Packers. But of those three coaches, Zach Taylor is the one I could see getting a little more spicy with the pass game uh, and switching that narrative to be a little more pass-heavy. He's an ex-quarterback himself. He's the ex quarterbacks coach of the Rams I think that offense could be a little bit pass heavier than those other two and that of course plays into Dalton AJ Green Tyler Boyd uh you know AJ Green probably the least likely to be on my teams as talented as he is and as perfect of a fit of that Shanahan alpha x target hog guy that can climb the ladder make any catch out there he's going to get peppered and he's going to dominate while he's out there but I'm just so wary of that injury history I uh, hasn't been making it through a full season uh, it seems like for and forever now I know early on he was very very durable but nowadays this is always something nagging him it seems so I'm very interested in Tyler Boyd who is going to be falling into round six seven he's coming off a top 15 year but a lot of people thinking it's a fluke. He was just a waiver wire guy who exploded. He caught a stroke of luck. I don't think so. I think he's a perfect fit. A Robert Woods clone, as you mentioned, but a little bit bigger at 6'1", still runs a 4.5, but he's well known for his route running, the pristine, just like Robert Woods' ability to stop on a dime, have that feel for the zones, to know where to sit, and establish that chemistry so well with Andy Dalton. It was like he was that clear number one guy on third down looks, even with A.J. Green there. So you got that chemistry with the quarterback. You got that skill set and, and Robert Woods has been thriving in this McVay offense for the past two years. I can see Tyler Boyd being someone that everyone's doubting he can't repeat it, but then finding an offense that actually makes him even better than the top 15 wide receiver we saw last year. Yeah. So I'm a huge fan of all three of these guys, including Dalton as a sleeper quarterback, uh, but Boyd, I bet, is going to be the one that really takes off and presents the best value of the three. All right, Derrick Henry. I feel like we've talked every which way about Derrick Henry over the past three seasons. I was actually looking at our fantasy glossary earlier today, and there's stuff I wrote in there from like 2017 or 2016 maybe even about Derrick Henry and about how you were agonizing with what to do with him. And it's like, here we are again. We've seen the best of him that we have seen yet in the NFL. Derrick Henry, obviously, finally a quote-unquote big part of the Titans offense, set to pick up where he left off, steamrolling defenses. We'll see. I mean, yeah, that seems like a smart bet, but it seemed like a smart bet a few years ago, too. I think the reason it's even smarter, though, in 2019 is— We've seen it now. Uh, we've seen it in the new offensive coordinator. His name's Arthur Smith, which—can I pretend to know a ton about Arthur Smith? No. Ar- Arthur Smith? I, Artie Smith, my boy. Uh, but he's been with the Titans for four years now as their tight end coach. He's an ex-lineman, so he, he's already come out and talked about, I love smash mouth football. I don't care if it's pretty. I want to wear you down. I want to come at you. And, of course, there's no one better than a 250-pound 6'3 bulldozer no. named Derrick Henry to do that. And he's already come out and said, too, Derrick's going to be the big part of this offense. He has that rare skill set. He's a home run hitter, and we're going to hopefully take another step with him. What he did over the last five weeks will open a 
lot of things up. So clearly he's well aware of what he did. And he's saying we're going to give him every chance to maintain that and start the year running. And I think he truly will. He had 625 yards and seven TDs over those final five weeks, averaging 31.3 fantasy points per game, which is absurd. Was the clear cut number one running back over that span in fantasy. And Arthur Smith, again, clearly acknowledging that this guy was special. We're going to mold our offense around him. It would have, again, the reason I call this a win is you could have had like a pass happy coach come in trying to get cute, kind of like LaFleur was early on last year. Uh, but Arthur Miller already saying this is going to be a, we're going to maintain that zone blocking that let this guy thrive. We're not going to change anything up. We want continuity. We weren't even use the same lingo, but instead of just, you know, making it a committee and confusing things, we're going to come at you with Derek Henry. We're going to pound you into submission. Mike Vrabel agreed and said, I, I hope he starts stuff 2019, just like 2018. It's going to have every chance. That's going to be great for us. If he can do that, it's going to be unbelievable. So the head coach, the offensive corner, everybody knows that Derek Henry, that light switch flipped. He had a, apparently got scathed, the scathing speech from Eddie George, who told him he's <laughs> running like a pussy. And he came out and just beast mode. I, I don't know why just one speech from Eddie George changes everything, but clearly it did. And they're Seriously. all committed to riding this guy after that light switch went on. Uh, if he can start off 2019, like he finished 2018 and you get a full season of that, he falls for round three and you get that as your running back too. You're going to be sitting damn pretty in 2019. Was Eddie George on Survivor once? Or was it like his wife? I don't there, think so. There was, there was some connection. You would know better than me. Well, I mean, I, I'm just like you saying Eddie George brought a lot of thoughts back to me. And it's like either Eddie George was on Survivor or his wife was on Survivor. But like there is a Survivor connection with Eddie, Eddie okay. George. Okay. I'm just putting that out there that. right now. By the way, Survivor season coming up soon. I'm looking forward to it. Jameis yeah. Winston and Bruce Arians, a match made in fantasy heaven. I'm just automatically skeptical of Jameis Winston in this. Scenario. I know you. You always are, but remember last year I, I told you stretch run upside. After he got benched and came back, I was like, you know, he's still out there. He could be a stretch run hero for people. Over the last three weeks, throws or last four or five weeks, I think it was eleven touchdowns to only three interceptions. Saw a lot more control yep, of James solid. Winston who was just clearly broken up about getting benched and rather than kind of cower and, and just crumble, which a lot of people do, he came out and showed a, a different Jameis Winston and Bruce Arians has come out and said, I love the way he responded to that benching and I'm already going to come out and flat say, this isn't a competition. This is Jameis Winston's offense. We are going to mold around him. And Jameis Winston then replies, Thank you. Uh, that means a lot to me to have my coach back me like that, to give me that confident, you know, check mark. Especially a guy like Bruce Aarons, who fun little nugget actually coached Jameis Winston when he was 14 years old at a little clinic at Alabama, like a summer camp. So those two already know each other a little bit. And Arians cited Jameis Winston as the reason I took the Bucks job. I wasn't going to come out of retirement unless it was a quarterback yeah. I absolutely love, an offense I really wanted to work with. And Jameis Winston has all those tools to succeed. Arians' offense, no risk it, no biscuit, is his famous saying. He loves to get vertical. He loves to attack you when you least expect it deep. It might be second and three, and suddenly he's throwing a 70-yard bomb down the field. And they've got that weapon cabinet to absolutely pull it off with Deshaun Jackson. That speed's still there. Yeah, Chris Godwin, who can just moss anybody out there. One of the most underrated receivers in the league, in my opinion. And, of course, Mike Evans, a beast. O.J. Howard down the seams. I mean, this weapons cabinet is no joke. They didn't lead the league in passing yards last last year for no reason. You get a potential even better play caller in Bruce Arians, a guy that's known as a quarterback 
quarterback whisper for developing Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, Ben Roethlisberger, resurrecting a, a previously dead Carson Palmer to throw 36 touchdowns with the Cardinals. I mean, this guy has a great track record in Bruce Arians in developing quarterbacks, and now he gets a great project in Jameis Winston with all the raw arm talent, with a stacked weapons cabinet. Uh, he's already come out and said, we've studied every single throw from his entire career, and these interceptions, these mistakes, almost all of them are mechanics-related, and we're going to go in there with Byron Leftwich and, and their offensive coordinator and correct all those little mistakes. So he's already going to give him those coaching points. He's already got the perfect offense for Jameis Winston. I think all of those things add up to a explosion for this guy. Uh, all the upside in the world here. Of course, there's downside Plenty of upside. Winston. Yeah, I'm not going to. I mean, you, you know the old saying, no risk it, no crab legs. No. All right. <laughs> number seven. No, no stolen crab legs. Anyway. That's very true. All right, number as, seven. As it goes. <laughs> That's what I, they've been saying that for years. Uh, all right, number seven on the carousel. Julio Jones thrived under Dirk Cutter previously. Man, uh, it's hard to tell what to expect from Julio. He's such a great talent. Such a great talent. We finally saw that touchdown ability. Yeah, where the hell has that been for the last lurch. four and a half years? Seriously, he goes on a touchdown per game pace over the last eight weeks. Unbelievable. And I mean, that gives you just a little taste of how dominant this guy could be in fantasy if he maintains that over a full season because you know the yard is going to be there. It's always been there. Yeah, the receptions, the yardage are going to be great. Always. It's going to be great every single year. But now that he's got that touchdown upside kind of brimming, and why I love Dirk Cutter for that is the only other time Julio Jones was actually scoring touchdowns was under Cutter over that yeah. three-season span, 2012 through 2014. Dirk Cutter was actually there as their offense coordinator. 2012 is only sophomore year for Julio Jones. He catches his career high right now, 10 touchdowns under Dirk Cutter as, as a sophomore, 1,100 yards, 10 touchdowns, 79 receptions. That was with Roddy White kind of dominating the receiving. Oh, yeah. but Julio Jones playing a great secondary role there. 2013, Julio was on a ridiculous pace. That was the, the year he got hurt. He only played five games. So he has uh, you know, only 41 catches, 508 yards, and three touchdowns. But that was only in five games. That equates to 1,856 yards and 9.6 touchdowns over a season. So another beastly year was on the way for Julio Jones. And then 2014, a nice solid year under Cutter again, 110 catches, 1,696 yards, 7 TD uh, pace. He missed a game or two over that season as well. So he's had uh, he's going to succeed where well, whoever's calling plays, but it's comforting to know that this is a guy who's maximized his ability in the red zone previously and can hopefully take that Julio Jones we saw at the end of the year and just continue that touchdown scoring streak to go with the insane yardage paces for a full season. That's why Julio Jones is suddenly back into my first round uh, and right up there with Hop Hopkins. I mean, Hopkins is my favorite, but he's right up there with the Hopkins, the Antonio Browns, whereas previously he was kind of a tier below. Julio's right up there with those guys now. Yeah, agreed. And let's do, let's do one penny stock, okay? Uh, Christian yeah. Kirk, who could explode in Cliff's, Cliff Kingsbury's air raid offense. Tell me why you think that there's anybody on the Cardinals worth talking about. Well, I hope, one, they get a quarterback. I hate Josh Rosen, so, I mean, if he's still their quarterback come the season, I don't love it. But I do love Cliff Kingsbury. That was the key name you said there. And I love an air raid offense, like you just said. Uh, very pass-heavy, uh, very screen-heavy to wide receivers. And Christian Kirk is an athletic freak. I know we didn't get to really see that on full display in an offense that was arguably the most boring I think I've ever watched in my life. 
But that's going to be much different when you got Cliff Kingsbury, a very exciting offensive mind. The Holmes and Johnny Menzel and Tunde Davis, all these guys, quarterbacks. He's he's coordinated some great offenses. And Christian Kirk, yes, I love Larry Fitz. I think he's going to be in for a nice line as well. But Kirk's the one that has that true speed that can run really well after the catch. Played in an air raid offense himself in college, so he knows the core principles of it. He knows what Kingsbury is going to be doing. He's already said, "I can't. I'm super excited to to fully realize what I can do." in this league in this style of offense so he's all the way on board an athletic freak uh, again Kingsbury that history 78.1 percent of his receptions went to wide receivers uh, only 17 going to running backs and 4.6 to tight ends yeah that will change when you got a talent like David Johnson but he knows how to design an offense to maximize wide receivers with speed he peppers you with screens gets you biting on those and then suddenly dinks it right over your head uh, when you bite on the screen and, and get too aggressive so I can't wait to see what this overall offense is and I think Christian Kirk, who's going to fall to your double-digit rounds, could truly explode in the system under Kingsbury. All right, that's going to wrap it up for the coaching carousel. I do want to just get us out of here on a quick hypothetical. Um, oh, going to put about, one of those in there Yeah, again. why not? Why not? All righty. All right, here's your choices. So would you rather run up to Aaron Have you seen that picture of Aaron Donald, by the way? Like which was is he shirtless and just yeah, monsters. Yeah, the one where he's got like, you know, like a sixteen pack or something like that. <laughs> it's fucking frightening, dude. I mean it's ridiculous. Would yeah. you would you rather like all right, so if you saw him, I don't know, say sleeping uh for some reason sleeping out in a field somewhere. I mean I was gonna say like on a park bench, but I will just say like <laughs> saying like Random some Tuesday, and you just knew it was Aaron Donald, you're like, Hey, that's that's uh Los Angeles Rams defensive tackle Aaron Donald there sleeping on that bench. Anyway, let's let's say you see him there. Would you rather if you had to do one of these two things? You okay. run up run up to Aaron Donald, uh, Donald and just like, you know, hard as you can just jump up, flying elbow like drop like right in his back and then just like and then just like run. Um Oh god. Right, that's your I, first. I don't even know that's need your, to know what the next option is. I the can't, second one how is, can I ever accept that. All right, the second one is like basically the same scenario but it's like um like a full grown like mountain lion. I so a mountain lion, mountain lion, nowhere near as big as Aaron Donald. First no. of all, but there's teeth and there's like fangs, <laughs> and like right. they hunt for a living. And and even though Aaron Donald's faster than you, the mountain lion is faster than Aaron Donald too. Uh, so those are your options: elbow dropping Aaron Donald sleeping in the, in a field, or elbow dropping. Uh, a full-grown mountain lion that was like asleep, minding its own business, is there and then any- running. <laughs> Fuck, that's cool. Because I mean, I'm assuming you've had a few drinks in this scenario. Yeah, of course. There's no. I mean, maybe more know, than a few. I would have to be blackout to even consider this, but. One, you're not getting away from either. Like you said, yes, the mountain lion's faster, but Aaron Donald's obviously way faster than me. Oh, yeah. Aaron, Donald, Aaron Donald would catch you if he, he wanted he's to. He's catching me. So uh, you're already accepting you're getting caught by either one of these things. Uh, so which one do I have a better chance of surviving after they catch me? I guess I got to bank on the fact that Aaron Donald's right, a that, that Aaron Donald... has a moral conscience and like he'll pummel the absolute fuck out of me, but eventually will like be like, okay, I don't want murder on my resume. I'm right. a, a human being. I mean, if this is like in an open field where no consequences are found and like he could just. Right. I mean, that's kind of the thing. It's like, let, let's death, assume but... like you've caught Aaron Donald on a bad day. There's no police around. Like there's nobody coming. And there's no con. Like he's going to get away with it no matter what he wants to do. Yeah. Uh, so then it's like, all right, which manner of death do I want? Do well, I want to no, get. See, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to throw something in here. I think that 
God, it would be tough. If if we're talking about like a savage version of Aaron Donald where like he would have no problem beating you to death, I don't yeah. think you could take Aaron Donald in this situation. I think you got to take the mountain lion. <laughs> I think you got to take the mountain lion and hope that like you startle it and it like runs away. That's what I'm saying. Like maybe Aaron I Donald would like get like, his wits about it and he'd be like, "Oh, there's some like, you know, relatively small, slow, drunk guy running away. I'm going to like pile drive him into the ground and kill him the the mountain lion might run away now there was an instance recently i think in colorado did you see the thing where a mountain lion attacked a, a jogger and the jog no. and the jogger fought it hand to hand and and uh choked it out and killed it i didn't see that and that's what i was gonna say it's like it was not it, full grown it was like 100 pounds but still and the, the, and yeah. the jogger got really fucked up like the the mountain lion really fucked it up it <laughs> did its thing yeah sure I, so that's what i was gonna say is like ultimately i'm not getting away from either and if there's no moral compass there's no ties that would actually stop aaron donald from pummeling me to death that's going to happen that's uh, ultimately the end situation is i am beaten down to the point that i can't breathe anymore and i'm dead whereas a mountain lion like maybe i scream and scare it maybe i can, right. like, you get, get big, you go like this, and all of a sudden it thinks you're like you know 600 pounds. Right? Yeah, you can maybe freak it out a little bit. Get away if you're wearing a trench coat. You could like make it like look really big. There's, exactly. There's no intimidation factor coming with Aaron Donald. He's going to beat the fuck out of me until I'm dead. Whereas the mountain lion will probably kill me and probably eat me, which might be a worse way to die. But there's at least yeah. a some. I mean, getting answer. eaten alive like, is the worst possible way this could end. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if we're talking to normal people, you rely on like you know being like, no, please, Aaron, stop beating, stop beating me. Like I have a yeah. family, right? You know? And that's not going to stop him. If if what we're saying is there's no consequences, and no, he's this is like this is like um, Game of Thrones Mountain Aaron Donald, right? Um, yeah, there's like no after no after the you know like they Super jacked him up with all that yeah. like venom and shit, and he's like the right, real deal. exactly. Yeah, I'd be fucked either way, but I think I have a slight, slight chance. Like, if the adrenaline takes over, that won't matter against Aaron Donald, where it might no, propel there's, there's no amount of adrenaline out. that would help you against Aaron no. Donald. But maybe against a mountain lion, yeah, I yeah, might maybe. have a... Tiny think, shot at like scaring right. it or hitting it in, right in the, the chin and or you know whatever right. way you kill a lion I don't know right. but I might have a like ten percent chance of survivor where it's zero with Aaron Donald right I, so we both agree we're taking the mountain lion elbow drop over zombie Aaron Donald <laughs> yeah absolutely no no question all right that's gonna wrap it up uh, <laughs> that's a good note to end it on that I was like a great question, podcast yeah. Yeah, thank very you. realistic very realistic hypothetical too yeah totally realistic so I mean you know that. It, at least one of those things has happened to just about all of us at some point. All right. So what do you got any social media you want to pump before we take off? As always, I'm Roto Street Wolf at Roto Street Wolf on Twitter of RotoStreetJournal.com, which you can find on all your social medias as well. Roto Street Journal on Facebook and Instagram, Roto ST Journal on Twitter. Uh, follow us every which way that you like, that you prefer. We are going to hit you with the content on all those channels. Uh, and, of course, this is the Fantasy Fullback Dive, your lead blocker to 2019 titles. If this podcast didn't convince you to follow, I don't know what will. Know. So hopefully smash that subscribe button. Uh, we have the information. we got the entertainment. we got it all for you. This entire offseason, we're not going to stop. We're scheduling some great interviews. I'm not going to give any away. But we got a ton of awesome interviews coming up, too. So smash that subscribe button. Let us know your thoughts in the, the 
the reviews uh, and maybe you can get featured on here as well. We're going to have link. We, <laughs> I actually won't preview any of our interviews because we got fans coming on. We got beat writers. We got ex- expert fantasy guys. We got tons lined up. Uh, so hopefully you liked what you heard. Let us know what we can do better if not. Uh, but thank you again for listening. If you're listening at this early in the offseason, you're the type of people we want to build the wolf pack with. So thank you uh, and best of luck in 2019. Here we, we go. We bring in Field Yates back. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what's your boldest prediction? I'm not in the bold prediction industry. I, can, uh, I, I don't can, have a bold prediction. I can tell you one thing. It doesn't feel good to get the scoop on Adam Schefter because he's my colleague and I respect <laughs> him. Anyway, nah, enough said about that. I'm not the truth, Jones. And with me, as always, is the wolf. We'll see you next time. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh, oh, oh. And wave out to the crowd and take our final bow. Oh, it's our time to go, but at least we stole the show. 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 Second effort, third effort, touchdown! Oh. That's pretty awesome. That's old-fashioned football right there, folks.